grab a Bible, open it to Matthew, or excuse me, Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. We're going to talk about Matthew today, but out of Luke, just to make sure you're confused. Uh, Luke chapter 5. So today, is, as I was preparing and, and just looking over this passage, one, I think it's the shortest passage I have ever preached here at Providence. Um, I, I tend to get like the, I just preach this book of the Bible. Um, and that's what we do over in the kids area. We're going through chronologically through the Bible. So we have these big, huge chunks of Scripture because we want your kids to get a big picture of um, what the Bible's all about. And we're doing that even with our adults and, and students now too. But this week, we're going to zoom in. We're going to take, take that big telephoto zoom lens that we're looking all out at everything and, and we're just going to focus it down and kind of use a macro lens and look at what Jesus does with one guy today. And um, his name's Levi in the text today. His, his other name that we know him by is Matthew. Um, he ended up writing a book of the Bible. He recorded all these stories of what happened with he and Jesus as he began to follow him. But today, um, we're going to get this snapshot of before he was following Jesus, of what he was like. He was a tax collector. We're going to talk about what that meant here in just a few minutes. But today... It's not going to be one of those mind-boggling sermons of, I never knew that. But what we're going to do is look at the simplicity of this text. It's not shallow. It's actually very deep because it's so simple and clear about who Jesus is and what Jesus is about doing and what He's doing. He actually says it. He flat out comes out and says, here's why I came. So we're going to talk about that today. There's two points. There are five words each. Nothing fancy, but very, very important. The first one is Jesus came to save sinners. Jesus came to save sinners. And two, don't get in Jesus' way. Um, don't get in Jesus' way. So before you turn me off and think we're going to go shallow or basic, let's look at this text and really get that this is the point of the text. It's who Jesus is and what he's about doing. Listen to this. And we're going to read it. Luke chapter 5. Um, if you need a Bible, there's one sitting in some of the chair backs there. It's on page 559. 559. But Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 27, says this. After he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth, he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything. He rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with them. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered, Those who are well have no need of physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Let's pray together and then we're going to look through God's word. Father, thank you that you have called not just perfect, angelic, heavenly people, but you called sinners. Called people who, who didn't have everything together and who weren't perfect yet and who are in desperate, desperate need. 
Thank you that you even had mercy on me. Lord, speak to our hearts and change us and make us just a little bit more like you today. Please convict every one of us, God, by your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So again, first point, very, very simply, Jesus came to save sinners. So we see this story of a guy named Matthew. And I don't know of anyone here who would particularly say, I really like tax collectors. Um, it's amazing every year, I, I mean, everyone dreads April 15th. Even the accountants who make all their money off taxes, I, I don't know of a single one of them who really gets excited about April 15th. Now, they might like April 16th when they get a little breather, but, but nobody likes it. But back in Jesus' day, the situation was a little different. The people, the Jewish people, were not self-governing. They had government imposed from a foreign emperor on them. The Romans had taken over, actually first the Greeks, and then the Romans took over from the Greeks. And so this was a foreign entity. This was an outside country. They were um, just basically a parish of Rome. And in order to satisfy Rome, they had to send in their taxes. So their taxes were funding lavish, lazy lifestyles in Rome and a giant army that was making their life miserable. And the way Rome went about collecting these taxes that no one wanted to pay was they would go out into their provinces and they would say, we will hire the highest bidder to go collect taxes for us. And so they would actually employ the people who lived in this region to collect taxes from their own people and pay them to Rome. So they actually turned in bids, much as we would do on a contracting type thing. They'll, I'll collect this much taxes. I'll collect this taxes. Whoever got the highest bid was paid to become the tax collector. Oftentimes, these bidding wars actually erupted into bribing wars for who could collect the taxes because Rome did not have a set tax rate. So once you got the bid and it was yours, you just collected as much money as you felt like you could get. And whatever you had to send into Rome, you sent into Rome, and the rest you pocketed. So a tax collector in this day was not just a person who collected money for the government. It was a person who collected your money for a foreign government who was oppressing you, and they were your own people. These were traitors. These people were hated. They were not the people you'd have over to dinner. Um, particularly three reasons. One, again, they were a traitor to a foreign oppressor. Two, nearly all of these people grew rich off the taxes they would collect from their own people. So while their people were being oppressed and getting poor, they were getting rich off the whole deal. Third, they were corrupt, dishonest, and most of the time thieves. There were no regulated rates, so they did whatever they wanted to. And finally, and this is something that's, again, kind of foreign to us. These tax collectors were working for, a, working for a foreign entity. So they were actually constantly dealing with Gentiles and coins. Now, that's not a big deal to us. We have coins all the time if you're not using your debit card. But those coins have what on them? Presidents. Somebody else. Jewish people believed it's wrong to have a face on a coin. They were dealing with uh, the laws of the Old Testament that talked about graven images. And if you actually even go to Israel today, 
their coins don't have people on them. They have flowers or birds or something like that. Because they never want to be seen as having the possibility of an idol. And the Roman emperor declared himself to be God. So he truly was an, a picture of an idol on this coin. And so these tax collectors were dealing with dirty money. Not in the sense of what we think of as dirty money. But the fact that this was idolatrous money. Then they were giving this idolatrous money on to Gentiles. So the people of that day had declared that all tax collectors, because of what they did and what they dealt with, and the Gentiles they were dealing with, they were unclean. They were unfit to even come into the temple to offer a sacrifice for their sins. So to become a tax collector was outright rejection, not only of your own people, but of God himself. You're saying, I would rather have the money than be faithful to my people and worship God. And they grew rich and corrupt and lived outside of their own people's life flow, the worship of the temple. So Jesus walks up to this guy, this tax collector. Look there again in your Bibles. And after this, what it's after is Jesus healing the paralytic. If you remember back to Joe's sermon last week. So Jesus has a man who's let down on a cot. He heals him. And he gets into an argument with the Pharisees. And these were the religious folks. These were, these were the grassroots good folks. Joe talked about this a little bit last week. These were not the people you'd see as the bad guys. These were normally the people you'd see as the good guys. They were the religious folks who were trying not to be corrupt. But they were very, very legalistic, and they just had at it with Jesus. Because rather than following their exact form of religion, Jesus wanted to love people and save them and follow his Father, God. So after all of that argument, just to make them a little more irritated, he walks right straight up to the tax collector. And listen to what happens there in verse 27. And after this, he went out and he saw a tax collector named Levi. Again, another name we know him by is Matthew. Sitting at the tax booth. So he is in action. I mean, this is going. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. Skip down with me to verse 32 there at the very end. Jesus says what exactly he was doing here. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So right there, in public, Jesus goes up to the bad guy, the traitor, the ceremonially unclean, the money-hungry, corrupt guy. You come and follow me. You come and follow me. We tend to have our list of, of like the good sins and the bad sins. Y'all know what I'm talking about? I mean, there's, there's all these things like gossip. Well, that's not that bad. I mean, you shouldn't do it. Don't get me wrong. But, but I mean, gossip's not that bad. But, but oh, adultery. Man, then you're going to hell, right? I, I mean, then there's telling a lie at work to cover a mistake. That's just what people do. I mean, that's business. But, oh, heaven forbid your child tell you a lie. They're in trouble. Porn doesn't hurt anybody, but homosexuality is terrible. And we, we, we make all these lists. Jesus goes up to the guy that's on the bad list. 
It, it doesn't matter in your day what you were guilty of. The tax collector, he was worse. And so Jesus goes up to the guy on the bad list, whatever your bad list is. And isn't it convenient that our bad list always like excludes us? You know, whatever sin we're guilty of, that's the good list. That, those aren't the really bad sins. Jesus goes to the guy who was on everybody's bad list. You. Come and follow me. Come and follow me. I want to read you a scripture. This is 1 Corinthians. Um, it's out of chapter 1, starting in verse 26. Paul wrote this. This is about 23 years after Jesus calls Matthew. For consider your calling, brothers. So they're in a church. He's talking to a bunch of church folk. All nice and cleaned up. They're coming and we're worshiping. I mean, they, they were singing it out. And he says, think about where you came from. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to the worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world. Even the things that are not. Catch how far he goes. Not only are you not the smart people, are you not the wise people, are you not the powerful people, he says to this church, you were not. Whatever it was after the not, you weren't. And he says, to bring to nothing, excuse me, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom for God. So he takes the unwise and he says, I'm going to give you wisdom. I'm going to give you my son, Jesus. Righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So catch what he's saying Jesus gives us. Righteousness. So in other words, you're wrong. I'm going to give you my son who's right. Sanctification. You're not cleaned up. I'm going to give you my son, Jesus, who is. Redemption. You are far away. You are outside. I'm going to buy you back in by my son. So that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. This church was not on the who's who's list, the 30 to be watched, the up and coming of anything. They were those who are so broken from sin as Luke chapter 20 tells us here in a little bit, they fell on Jesus and were saved. They were so weary that they cast their burdens on Jesus and He saved their sin. By the way, you know who writes that passage in the Bible? Cast all your cares upon me. They record Jesus' words. Cast all your cares upon me, you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You know who wrote that down? Matthew, this guy, this same guy who was the big mess is the one who writes down what Jesus said. Come, all y'all who are in a mess, who can't do it yourselves, come to me and I will do it for you. They were poor spiritually and they found a redeemer. In Jesus. 
what Job's going to get into here in a few weeks. But not only does Jesus call the sinner, Levi actually responds and he walks away from everything. Did you catch it? He is at his job. He's sitting at his desk and he walks away from it all. And if you walk away from the Roman government, you're not coming back. These guys had a chip on the shoulder from the get-go. He's lost his job. He's lost his fortune. He's lost his power. He just walks away from it all. Leaves the desk and the chair and follows Jesus. Jesus was more appealing than his life of sin, his spiritual isolation. Levi gave up his career. He gave up his money. He gave up his power just to follow Jesus. The words that Jesus uses to describe Levi's action is repentance. Check there at the very end. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. It means to turn away from your sin and your old way of life and turn to Jesus Christ. When you see Levi, he gave up his job that was forcing him into a sinful, unrighteous position, and he changes and he starts following Christ. This is just like what we saw over here in this baptism. Do you remember what Joe said? He raised his hand up really high. That's apparently spiritual. Um, that was a joke, okay? Got to give him a little hard time, all right? Um, I do the same thing, by the way. So he raised his hand up. But Tony's there. Do you remember what he said this represented? Is Tony's old life of sin. That old life of sin, dead and buried. And Tony's raised up to a new life. And it's not what happens in this water. They filled this thing with a spigot this morning. And it's what has happened in the heart. Tony had turned away from his old life and turned to Jesus Christ. Every one of us who's in that church, we've been in the same boat. We've been in the same water. But our hearts have been changed by the same Jesus. We've turned from sin to Christ. It's called repentance. So what does this mean? We've got three things. We see this story. We know the story. So Jesus calls Matthew. He turns to Jesus. What does this mean for us? Three things, very quickly. The first thing is you're not too bad for Jesus to save you. You're not too bad for Jesus to save you. It does not matter where you are on the self-image ladder, on the self-help ladder. It doesn't matter where you are on your career ladder. If you've got the million dollar job or you're dead set broke, it doesn't matter if you're good, you're bad, or ugly. You're not too far from Jesus. You are not too far from Jesus. Jesus saves drug lords. He saves adulterers. He saves folks with neck tattoos. He saves greedy bankers. He saves system working lawyers. He saves people who wear five inch stilettos. And he saves ladder climbing business people. He saves self-absorbed moms and hot-tempered salesmen. He saves the raving liberal and he saves the mean conservative. He saves self-righteous teachers and people with more piercings than dollars in their bank accounts. He saves even arrogant, cocky academics like me. We're not too bad for Jesus. We're not too bad for Jesus. So the first thing that this means to you, if you don't know Jesus and you've been thinking, I got to get myself cleaned up before I come to him. No, 
You can't. You can't get yourself clean enough. None of us can. The whole point is that we're not good. Jesus was good for us. That's why we got this giant cross up here. It's to remind us that Jesus died for those sins. We don't bear them anymore. So the first thing you need to hear today is you are not too bad to be saved by Jesus. Jesus saves sinners. So that's the second thing it means. What else does it mean? If you think you're okay, you're wrong. The bad guys in story in this story are ironically the good guys. It's the Pharisees, the good guys, who are the bad guys. Jesus flips this all on his head. Catch the end of this. We're, going to, we're skipping a little bit forward, but um, there in verse 31, it says, those who are well, he's being sarcastic, they have no need of, of a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, those Pharisees, but sinners. And the reason is not because he didn't love the Pharisees, because the Pharisees didn't realize they needed a Savior yet. The hardest person to be saved is the person who doesn't think they need a Savior. So what does this mean to you? You think you're okay. You're not okay. You still need a Savior. Isaiah 64.6 says it this way. We have all become like the one who is unclean. And all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. It's actually much more graphic than that in the Hebrew. And I won't ruin your lunch. We all fade like a leaf. And our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. Our best is still nasty, sinful trash. What does this mean for you? You're not too bad enough. What else does it mean to you? If you think you're not bad enough, you actually are. And three, what does this mean for us as a church? So Not just individually. What does this mean for us? Well, it means very simply, we don't allow good people here. All right? We don't allow good people here. Only sinners. If you're a really good, moral, hardworking person who does not need spiritual help, you're in the wrong place for community service. That's the Lions Club down the street. They're really nice folks and do a lot of good things. We are a bunch of sinners. Membership is contingent on you knowing that you're a sinner and a sinner who's so bad that you can't save yourself. If you desperately need a Savior, you're in the right place. If you want to be the person who pulls yourself up by your bootstraps, you're not. We need Jesus. Why did Jesus come? He came to save sinners. That's number one. Number two. So while Jesus is saving sinners, don't get in his way. Very simply. Okay, here's the preachy part. Y'all get ready. I, I know. Sometimes we got to do it. Head back to the scripture with me here. Verse 29. And Levi, Levi made a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with them. And the Pharisees and scribes grumbled to his disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Very often that word sinners was codenamed for prostitutes. And Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners 
to repentance. So Levi invites all his lost mess friends. And Jesus just eats dinner with them. Jesus went to the place that none of the Pharisees wanted to go. And it almost sounds a little bit like none of his disciples would even go in there either. Uh, Check this out. And the Pharisees and scribes grumbled at his disciples. It's almost like they wouldn't go in there either with all those horrible people. Jesus hears it. He cleans this right up. Oh, no, no, no. I'm in the exact right spot. He's hanging out with the people who needed him. He's loving them. He's caring for them. He's laughing and having a good time. He's, he's not just there, oh, I'm not going to eat your nasty food, your horrible heathen food. He's eating and drinking with them. He's enjoying himself. He's loving on these folks. Now that's not to say he wanted to leave them where they're at. I'm assuming he said the exact same thing to them as he said to Matthew, come and follow me. But he's in there with all the sinners. So very quickly, what does that mean for us? All right, this is the wildest application I've ever had in a sermon. Application number one, what does it mean for you? Host a party. Get everybody at your house. What Levi did. It's plain and simple. He got all his lost friends together and he had a party. And he invited Jesus. So imagine a rich, corrupt businessman inviting all of his rich, corrupt businessman friends and the best girls that money could buy and they're all hanging out and Jesus is there. That's the picture. Found this. And this just floored me this week. Um, a preacher said this in another part of the country. Our homes are not false functional heavens. Our homes are not false functional heavens. It's not this haven where you get into your house to protect yourself from all of that out there. Our homes can be nothing more than a tool for the gospel. Host a party. And not just for all the people you like. Host a party. Our homes are for places to use for the expansion of the gospel. And I, I'm, I'm going to get real honest and personal. My house has no baseboard on it right now. We just put a new floor in um, when we moved into it in uh, December. We have no baseboard. I have exposed lumber where I've got to still put some more drywall up. Um, I mean, it's a mess. My yard, okay, my wife gets on to me all the time because i got to mow my yard before somebody comes over. I don't care if I mowed it yesterday. I've got, I mean, I'm that guy who's got to have the yard looking good. My yard is terrible right now. I mean, it's more weeds than grass. It is just nasty. Um, We're going to have people over. Because you know what? It's my house. Of course it looks nasty. I live there. I mean, we have two kids. They're preschoolers. Everything's dirty all the time. And you know, of all the people we've had over to our house, not one of them has complained 
about the things that drive me nuts. And I don't think that's because they were just being nice. They really just didn't care. They had a great time just being together. And so let me say this very, very graciously as much as I can, but invite people over to your house and not just to save people. Invite everybody. Invite the weird neighbor over. Okay, some of y'all have the weird neighbor too. All right, glad I'm not alone. Okay, I got some of you knew exactly who I was talking about. Invite the weird neighbor over. Um, some of us need to get over the idolatry of our homes. When you have people over, their kids are going to get handprints on the wall. Use flat paint and paint right over it. Nobody knows. Yes, I know that. Not from other people's kids. Um, they're going to track in mud. They're going to spill some drinks. Get over it. It drives me nuts too. And I trust me, I am that guy who obsesses on this stuff. So please understand, I'm not just saying this to you, I'm saying this to myself. We need to get over it and open up our homes and love people like Jesus did. He got in there with them and he just enjoyed it. It means hosting people from church. It means hosting people from work. It means hosting people who are Muslims. It means hosting people who are skeptics. It means hosting people who disagree with you on moral issues and political issues. It means hosting illegal immigrants. It means hosting all those folks who don't fit the mold because how else are they going to hear about Jesus if they don't hear it from you? We love sinners. It doesn't mean we say that's all okay. There's lots of stuff on that list that's horribly wrong. Everybody has their own list. But the reality is we love them because they're people created in the image of God and somebody is gracious enough to love us. My son is named after the guy who loved me. When I was very, very unlovable and grumpy socially awkward and just a mess. But he loved me and discipled me. I asked him why once. And you know what he told me? I don't know. God told me to. Well, let me tell you. God tells us to. We got to love sinners. Because Jesus did. And somebody loved us. All right. That's what it means for us first. Two, really easy. We have a big party up here at the church every year. It's called VBS. Invite people. There's flyers out there. We need everybody to invite people. Um, all right. What else does this mean for you? Realize you're in the center, center category. Same application as the first point. Realize you're not in the righteous, healthy category. Jesus is being sarcastic with these Pharisees. I didn't come to save all you well people. I came to save the sick people. What they think is, oh, well, that's true, Jesus. All those people need you or salvation. They're the sick people too. Don't be that guy or that lady. You need Jesus. You need Jesus too. Don't miss the sarcasm there and think it's 
okay to be the righteous, good, well people. We're all sinners. We need Jesus. So the final thing. What does this mean for our church? This is a big picture thing. It means that we are a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. We've said that a lot of times. But let that sink in. We are a hospital for sinners. And what happens in a hospital? It's a mess, right? There's all kinds of people who come in and they are really messed up. And so that means people are going to come in and they're going to say the wrong thing sometimes. They're going to wear the wrong thing sometimes. They're going to do this and that. They're not going to be like you. We're a hospital for sinners. What did you expect? And as your pastor, if you're thinking about those people, let me tell you, I know myself, and I've heard enough of your stories to know we are all a mess. We all need Jesus. We're a hospital. We're a safe place for questions, odd responses, those who don't fit anywhere else, the socially awkward, the people who are struggling, people who have nothing. We're a welcoming committee for heaven. We need to act a little more like it. We're not a club. We're a hospital. That's it. Host a party. Repent to Jesus. And if this clicked for the first time, the whole Jesus thing, I'm a sinner, He saves people by dying on the cross for their sins, living a perfect life, giving them His righteousness. If that clicked for the first time and you want to talk to Joe or myself, Chad certainly afterwards, he'll be singing. It's easier not to interrupt him during that. But man, we would, we would give anything to talk. We'll drop everything for that. And trust and repent to Jesus. Um, it's time to join the church. Do that. You've been through membership class. We've talked to you. We've heard your testimonies. Come sign our covenant and become officially part of us. Um, just know we're a big mess. And so if you're not as mess, please don't, you know. Um, host a party tomorrow's memorial day there's still time most people don't plan to last minute get everybody over love on them we're a hospital we're a hospital we're a hospital and we refer every single case to jesus the great physician let's pray father thank you for your grace and your love and your kindness to us Jesus, thank you that you save sinners. Thank you that we don't have to be perfect before we come. Because you are so good and kind and perfect. But you're also gracious and you gave your son for us. May we worship you. May we praise you because you've been good and gracious and kind. And Lord, I do pray for anyone here who's, who's struggling with your message, God that you would confirm in their hearts by your Spirit that it is true. That you are God. Jesus, that you save sinners. And that they're a sinner. Lord, I pray that you would give them faith and bring them to repentance by your grace and kindness and love.
Thank you that you are the great physician, Jesus. Because of you we pray. Because you've brought us near. Amen.